Have you ever known somebody who took a stance, a position on some issue, and their behavior canceled out their stance? There was not enough integrity between the stated position and the way they lived their life for there to be any kind of uh, validity to what they were saying. It just canceled each other out. Let me give you an example of that, and this is not intended um, so much as an attack, but it may sound that way a little bit at first. But Teresa and I attended the same high school, and we both had the same teacher at one point, uh, just in different classes, we think. But this lady was the English four teacher at Odessa High School. Now that's senior English, uh, fourth year, and uh, so yes, I was in the class even though there's no evidence that I was. Um, But Mrs. Blackman also had a husband who worked at the same high school and he was a science teacher. And I had him as a sophomore, and in that sophomore class, I learned enough to know that science wasn't going to be my thing, and so I kind of gravitated towards language arts stuff. Um, And one of the things that was obvious from sophomore with him in science and senior with her in English was their stated position, both of them, that was stated on behalf of the planet that no couple should have more children than two. And their stated position was you should only have two children and no more than two children because that replaces you and your spouse in life and the planet can sustain that as opposed to the rampant population explosion. That was their stated position. Okay, just for those of you with larger families, including myself, uh, I'm not endorsing what they said, I'm just telling you what they said. But here's where my point is made with them. The reason, even as a senior in high school, as I started putting things together, it made no sense. Their their credibility in making that argument was totally out the window because they had four children. And it might have even been five. Teresa came, and I can't really remember exactly how many, but I know for sure that it was at least four, all boys. To the Herods, man, I pray for you guys all the time. That's a house full of boys. It's going to be a great baseball team someday. But uh. So here's what I want you to get from that. It's possible for us to say something with our mouths that our life, uh, the way we live our lives does not back up. And when that happens, we sacrifice credibility. You with me so far? Here's where the rub for that is. Those of us who call ourselves Christians have a mandate from Christ himself to be salt and to be light in a very dark world. So one of the things that that sets us up for, that mandate, is that we are called to take, among other things, moral stands in a very amoral society. You understand what I mean by amoral? It's, it's a society that is without morals. I, I said in the early service, because there's more of us old people in the early service than in here, but the generation of the 60s that argued forcefully for, if it feels good, do it. 
But that generation, and better said, that philosophy of life now has created grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And so what used to be, if it feels good, do it, now has become just do what you want. And on the moral side of things, that leaves us as Christians who are called to be salt and light in a very dark world. It puts us right on the cutting edge. And if we are not careful, what we say gets swallowed up by what we do and we lose our voice with people. This amoral culture in which we live is highlighted um, by one of the big discussions among Christians these days. I say among Christians because, as a rule, our society has moved on past it. I want to talk to you today on Mother's Day about the issue of abortion. Now, for those of you here on a regular basis, you know that I don't typically take a single issue like this and just preach it. I prefer to take a passage of scripture and preach through, uh, or a book of the Bible and preach through it and let the issues arise out of the text. But today, on Mother's Day, I, I think it's important that we hear a different voice. Because my premise in the whole thing is that Perhaps, as Christians, the way we have handled the abortion question has not matched up with what we say we believe. And maybe our society has not listened to us because of that. It's no question that, as Christians, this whole issue of abortion, we could settle in about 30 seconds. This could be the shortest sermon ever. Well, it's already you know, too long for that, but uh, we could be done here in 30 seconds. Because most of us in this room would recognize and heartily embrace biblically, spiritually, abortion is not acceptable. Okay? Now, that may not be your position, and I'm not trying to argue that with you today. I wouldn't mind having a discussion with you, but that, that, I'm, I'm not interested in the argument because I've got a different point of reference I want us to take. We could finish this sermon early and say, shouldn't do it, and so let's go home. And most of us would be okay. Yeah, that's good. I get that. The problem with that, among other things, is that our society doesn't believe that's true. So let me give you a couple of voices um, that I think are instructive for us. One of them comes from a lady who's not even, or she was not even American, and the society in which she lived was one that she saw issues and she applied herself into it. Her name was Mother Teresa. And if you haven't done any kind of study into her life, you really ought to. Here's a lady whose statements matched the way she lived her life, and here's what she said, or at least it's attributed to her. I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is war against the child. A direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if, here's a key statement, and if we can accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? So she latches on to the truth of what we say has to match what we do. Here's another one. Came from a friend of mine. The last person, honestly, that I would expect to give me any kind of thing about morality based on our 
Well, I know he's different today, but boy, when we were in high school, he was the most amoral guy I knew, and he was a close friend of mine. It's his, it's his fault I nearly got arrested multiple times. Here's what he says is a quote from Thomas Jefferson. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot wait forever. Let me tell you something. That's a sobering statement full of truth. We live in an amoral culture that says, the culture does, that it's okay to kill unborn children. Probably not many of us would argue against that. But let me ask you this question to drive the rest of this sermon. As Christian people, how can we speak truth into that society and attempt to reach that society with the good news of Jesus Christ? Because here's what I get. Okay, Here's part of what drives this for me. Most Christian circles that pick up the whole issue of abortion seem to want to do that by building walls and waving flags and declaring war. But the war is declared on a particular point of contact and it, and it seems to ignore that big calling that we have. I'll say it this way. We know none of us would argue that we are called, we have a responsibility, a divine mandate to love God. Would you agree with that? All right. But, but we also are called, and, and I should say that that mandate to love God pushes us to scripture, it pushes us to truth as it should, and we are then called to say, okay, so how do we show that we love God? And one of the ways that we, or one of the things that we pull from scripture and from just the example that God has given to us is that every life matters. You with me on that? All right, not quite so strong a response, but that's all right, stay with me. So we know that God says this is reality, this is truth, live in this. But then when it comes to the love people part of it, that is hand and glove, both of them go together. Love God, love people, Jesus said that's the truth. So it's one thing for us to hide behind the walls and wave the flags and shoot the cannons that say every life matters, including those of the unborn. But our actions may well not agree when it comes to how we treat people who believe differently. How should we approach the whole abortion thing when it comes to the evangelistic charge that we have to take life to people, even people who agree with abortion. So let me make a few reflections. I have three specific, and then or actually four, uh, and then we'll be done. Here's the first one. I think the way we walk, where our integrity is in in consonance, it, it matches what we say. Let's be sure that when we come to deal with the abortion issue, that we do so full of grace. You see, it's much easier to be militant against abortion when it's not affecting your family. 
In other words, we can be militant. It's easy to be militant until it gets into our living rooms. And we're sitting with a family member who's facing an incredibly difficult situation. Now, you just need to hear me say from the outset, in no way am I going to argue ever in favor of abortion. Okay, I'm just not. And if you're in favor of it, we, we can disagree about that. But it was off, obviously, obviously room for discussions. But I'm just telling you from where I'm coming from, I'm not ever going to endorse that. But I know a lot of people who have had abortions. And I know the pain that they carry because of that. And this is one of those things that I think as a people, as people of God, we have to get this right. It's one thing to take a stand against something. It's another thing to treat people in love who are going through it. You know, I, I was, back in the time when I was a youth minister, I'm thinking of a, particular, a couple of particular incidents. Just so you know, I was a youth minister in four different churches. Um, that's not because I couldn't keep a job, I don't think, but whatever. I, I was four different churches, and in every one of those churches that I served, I dealt with somebody somehow that was dealing with the whole abortion question. One of those churches, not long after I got there, I was there long enough to figure out who the key leaders in the church were and who the key leaders in the youth area were. And not long after I got there, one of those little girls, senior in high school, showed up in my office and said, I I just don't know what to do. I had an abortion and I cannot handle the guilt that I carry because of it. We, We have to be compassionate in this instance. For people who go through this and make that choice, I'm not suggesting that it's okay. I'm just suggesting that the reality is that if people who go through that and all the pain and the guilt that comes with that, if they can't find help at church, where will they go for help? So be careful what kind of stand we take. We have to know how we're going to navigate these waters because in, in reality, we, know, we have to know how do we take a stand without causing more pain to someone. One of the, you know, not long after I got here, uh, I, uh, an opportunity came uh, to my office um, I don't even remember what time of year it was, but the request was that we put some crosses out in our yard here close to the highway uh, just as a, as a statement that says we, are, we stand against abortion and these crosses represent babies that are killed and that kind of thing. And uh, while I applaud the, the idea of that in measure, I was not willing to do that because of the number of ladies that I have dealt with through the years who have had abortions who already feel alienated from the church because of their decision. And that strikes at the heart of what I'm trying to say today. We have to hold true to the standards of Scripture and not be supportive of the arbitrary taking of life, especially that of a child. But we also have to put with that an awareness and and an attempt to stretch across the pain to those people who have already done that and yet are having to live in the aftermath of it. Our love God has to match our love for people 
or we lose credibility when we talk to them about Jesus and the life that he gives. Maybe the best example here is for us to go to Jesus and the woman who was taken in adultery. You remember that instance? Um, so the scenario, are y'all there? I mean, I, I know this is a sobering topic, I know. I got those looks in the first service like I was going, okay, are they taking up stones and going to throw them at me here? I, I know this is not an easy issue, but it's an issue we need to talk about. So stick with me, okay? It won't be forever here, we'll be done. That, that instance where Jesus uh, is doing some stuff with his disciples and they bring this woman taken in adultery. Oh, well, maybe we should stop. Who brings a woman taken in adultery? The Pharisees. Okay, let me, let me road tramalize that for you. Church people. Church people. And church leaders, specifically, bring this woman who is taken in adultery, caught in the act, and they say to Jesus, you remember what they said to Jesus? Let's do a little audience participation. What, what should we do with her? Let me, let me just stop for a second. Do you think for a second they cared what happened to her? You see, that's part of my issue here. Sometimes as church people, we get so sold out on the cause that is firmly rooted in Scripture, but we get so sold out on the cause itself that we begin to lose touch with the people that are part of that. And so that's what happens. And so they bring Jesus in and they say, she was caught in the act, we know she did it. They also knew, by the way, what scripture said. They knew what was supposed to happen. So not only were they not caring about her, the reality is they were putting Jesus to the test. They didn't care about him. Those church people were eaten up with, we don't care about anybody. Know any church people like that? Who rally behind the flag of whatever cause it happens to be. And I know we got young ears in here, so I'm going to modify it down a little bit. Those other people who are violating that, they can just, well, you fill in the blanks. So how did Jesus deal with that woman? Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not give her a 30-minute lecture about why she should not be committing adultery. Why do you think he handled it the way he did? You know, Scripture says that he bent down and he started drawing in the dirt. Biblical scholars get all, you know, how many angels can get on the head of a pen? Who cares? That, you know, they get all tied up on, well, what is he writing in the dirt? I don't think it was about what he was writing in the dirt. Otherwise, we would know what he was writing in the dirt. I think that what Jesus was doing there was allowing the situation to be what it was. Nothing like dramatic pause to make people stop and think about what they're saying. And so at the appropriate time, Jesus' response to her was not, hey, you shouldn't do this. His response to those people who brought her was not, hey, good job, guys, you held to the letter of the law, nice job. Jesus didn't do any of that. Remember what he said? Those of you who don't have any sin, you can start throwing the rocks at her because that was the Old Testament penalty for her, to be stoned to death. And so Jesus pushed it right back into their laps. 
if you think you want to do this, go ahead and start throwing rocks. But make sure that there's no sin in your life. In other words, that you're justified in being the judge here. Scripture says one by one they began to filter away. (laughs) The smart ones went first. It's an awkward thing when you put yourself up to be the judge and you don't love the defendant. And then you're the last one standing there having to justify your lack of love. And then Jesus turned to her and his comment to her was what? Just don't do that anymore. You know? Let the moment teach you that that's a bad choice and don't do it anymore. And then he let her go. Now see, we cry a lot for grace in our own lives, don't we? When you know that you've sinned, do you want justice from God or do you want mercy? See, we, we hammer hard when it's me. I need grace. I need mercy. But it's easy for us to pick an issue, especially one like this one. This is, this is huge. Anytime we take a life, it's a huge thing. So let's be careful that we season our position with heaping doses of grace for the people that are involved. Let me just finish this little point by saying this. In a crowd this size, and I'm estimating, I'll say there's a couple of hundred people here, maybe a little more than that. I'm smart enough to know, and history tells me, that there is a good chance that somebody in this room today has chosen to have an abortion at some point. And it is hard, hard to sit through this. I want you to know this is a safe place for you. At least I want it to be. And we as a church are working at being grace-filled while we hold to the integrity of Scripture. There's a lot of tension in figuring out how to do that because our traditions have historically been not so much grace, let's just hammer people with Scripture. So we want to get it right, and we want you to know this is a safe place for you to get better. So here's the other thing I want to say. We've got several more. I'm going to have to rush through them now. So let's be realistic. Okay, let's be full of grace first, but let's be realistic in this. You may take me to task with this, and that's okay, but we have to admit this. I think we have lost the battle legally on the question of abortion. I know that there are still those arguments that are being made and it could change at any point, but a look at our society and a look at our legal system tells me that the legal battle of this is long since behind us and as a rule, America has said this is okay. Which means we better figure out what we're doing and how to deal with this. We also might say that one of the best responses to not needing an abortion is to practice abstinence. But we're losing that battle and may have lost that battle. Look around you. As you drive down the road and you see those bull boards, they're bull, most of them. Um, Watch TV and the commercials that come across. We can't even sell a car without some kind of sexual connotation to it anymore. 
Our society, remember what I said about the 60s and free love and all that kind of stuff? We're now advanced in that approach. And everything around us just, just pushes sexual promiscuity. How, how can we avoid having people who are in situations where a question of whether I should have an abortion or not is there strictly because our society says, just live it up. Anything goes, it's okay. Of course we're in that situation. And of course people say, well, that's the easy out. Let's go that route. So how, how are we going to deal with that? What, what do we as Christian people have to say into that when we know that we're up against that? Here's my best answer. Baby Dedication Day is one of the reasons I chose today to do this. Baby Dedication Day is a reminder to us, all of us with kids, no matter what their ages are. Some of us are grandparents, so I look to our grandchildren with this. The best answer to coming against what society says is okay is done in the home. And as a parent of children, whether they're infants or preschoolers or teenagers or whatever age is it, you drive them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hear me very carefully the way I'm saying this. We know Jesus Christ first and foremost through Scripture. And so we hold, especially in this church, we're going to hold pretty strongly to the authority of Scripture and its place in our daily lives. But let me tell you something. You can teach your kid how to read the Bible. You can teach your kid how to pull stuff out of the Bible. But if they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is enlivening what they read, it's just another school lesson for them. So what we emphasize, and I tried to say it with these families that were stretched out across here earlier, is we emphasize a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just as fire insurance that keeps us out of hell. That, 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 that trusting Christ, that's the entry into a whole new life. Jesus called it being born again. But it's a tragedy when a baby only gets born and never grows. But churches are full of people like that spiritually. And so we get this mixed message in our time about what's acceptable in an amoral society. We get direction from Scripture, but it's Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who speaks into our daily living. This is the path, walk in this, Isaiah said. So as a parent, you be good at teaching your children about Jesus Christ and how to walk with him. For God's sake teach them that so let's be realistic let's be full of grace and let's step up with some solutions social realities of our day are the things that argue in the voice of our amoral culture those are the things that say abortion's okay it becomes a matter of convenience And so we have these social issues that are very much part of it. And as Christians, especially here in East Texas, we're very conservative in the way we look at things and we tend to argue for small government, all that kind of stuff. And I get all of that stuff, but let me just make sure that we're understanding one of the reasons there's such a push for a higher minimum wage, an incredibly higher minimum wage, it makes no sense to me, but one of the reasons that we're arguing for that is because we have single mothers with multiple children who are trying to make a living making it minimum wage 
So when we argue against certain things, let's make sure that we understand some of the things that feed into that. And when it comes to this whole question of abortion, one of the things that happens is a lady looks at that in her situation because of our society and because anything goes in our society, looks at that, I'm pregnant again. By the way, you know that like 80%, this was an old statistic uh, several years old now, some 80% of abortions are ladies, not teenagers. This is not a teenage problem. And so what happens is they begin to look at the reality around them and my life is such that it would just be easier if I did this. After this morning's sermon and the first service, I had several different people come to me and talk about their situations. Even doctors counseling them, you really shouldn't go through with this pregnancy. And the, the, the argument just keeps pounding from the outside. Just don't have the baby. So we, we better have some solutions. Hope Clinic, which is in Beaumont, but it originated here. One of the great moves of this church in the past was started by a few ladies from our church who stepped into this very issue we're talking about and said, there is a better way and we're going to make a difference and we're not going to wait around for somebody else to do it. And so even today, Hope Clinic operates in Beaumont and does great work in ministry with people who are expecting and wanting or at least considering having an abortion. And the Hope Clinic steps into that and says there's a better way. That's a picture of what I'm talking about. There's got to be a response from us. Which brings me, some of you are going, is he not ever going to read scripture? I, I think I told you it would be a while, so here we are. Psalm 139. This is the passage, by the way, that we tend to use in arguing against abortion. It's a passage, actually, it's taken out of context when we do that because the whole psalm is really one in personal defense. The psalmist has been accused of something and he takes it to God to say, God, you know the reality here. And he has multiple pictures of how God knows that. And in the midst of that, we read in verse 13, these words that we use to talk about the sanctity of life for an unborn child. Verse 13, for you, that is God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's a great passage. But here's where I pull the whole thrust of what I've said. Our actions have to match what we do. I mean, what we say. If we use this passage to argue about the sanctity of life before birth, should we not also use it to argue for the sanctity of life after birth? In other words, it's not enough to pull a passage of scripture out and say, you see there, we shouldn't do it. And then we ignore that same passage when it comes to the way we treat people who are on the other side of the argument. That pushes me to recognize this hard truth as I close. Brian, come on up. On this Mother's Day, what do we do 
about those who have no mother to whom they can say happy Mother's Day. On this Mother's Day, when we set it aside to say to mom, way to go, girl. What do we do about those children who are left motherless? Across the front, we have 10 pictures that are collectively referred to as the heart gallery. Child Protective Services for the state of Texas gets a bad rap on a lot of things, and I understand some of that. But here's what you need to know. Those adult officers of the state are called and they step into situations where children, through no fault of their own, are living under horrible circumstances. And sometimes it's necessary for somebody, and in this case it has to be the state, to say these kids are not going to be subjected to the kind of living and the kind of behavior that these parents are having and that means their only recourse is to pull them out and they go into foster care or ultimately the goal is to have them be adopted. The ultimate goal is to try to get them back with their parents and get their parents straightened out, but some parents just absolutely refuse to, res- to respond appropriately. And so what you find in front of you here are pictures of kids who have gone through the system and they are, according to the state, the way the state says that they are legally free to be adopted. They're in the pipeline to be adopted. But these kids, every one of them that you see here, goes into this Mother's Day without a mother to say, good job, girl, way to go. This needs to break our hearts. It is so easy for us to pull back into our churches and wave those militant flags about issues that I'm talking about and turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to kids in our, in our surrounding. These are kids from Beaumont area. And to turn a blind eye to them and the struggles that they're going through today. And I say, and the reason they're here today, first of all, maybe it's something the Lord put on your heart that you might want to look at this. The names of kids and their situation are on the back of these placards here. And we can put you in contact with somebody. If it's something you're interested in, maybe doing foster care or adopting kids, you know, some of you may need to pray about that. It's not easy, I'll just tell you. These are troubled kids. But these are troubled kids in our neighborhoods. And the reality for us is that we feel good about the way we're raising our kids while across the street we have kids like these who are going through life just getting pummeled by people. I believe that what Thomas Jefferson said is true, that God will call us to judgment over the way we treat the least of these. What do you do with that? Let's pray. And as we come to prayer, I want to invite you, this is what we call this invitation time, which is a good church way of saying, we don't want you to walk out without doing business with God over some of the stuff that has occurred with you here today. So our invitation to you is that you consider your own testimony, if you will. Does the way you live match up with the way you talk 
Do we say we love people and turn a blind eye to the least in our communities like these kids in front of you? What do we do with that? I have said for a long time that every one of us is injected by God into a circle of people who desperately need life. So in that circle, what are you communicating? What might you communicate? Where's God in all of that for you? How might you make a difference in our, in our amoral society and culture? Don't wait for somebody else to do it. It's about you. It's about me. So in this invitation time, I'm going to leave us in prayer in a minute. Then we're going to sing. During that time, if you want to talk or pray, we got our staff people across the back. I'll go back there also. If you just want to talk, pray with us, then we're here to do that. But uh, don't leave without doing business with God about this issue. And if you're interested in following up with about some of these kids across the front, we'll put you in contact with the person you need to talk to. So Father, we ask you to take this time and make us extremely uncomfortable with the current state of affairs and draw us to yourself. Make us what we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.